The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, once again, I have a quick trigger warning for this one. It's not anywhere near as intense an episode as our one about mental illness. Um, But in this one, I just want to mention we do talk about um, a little bit about rape culture and sexual assault. And when we talk about Outlander and Game of Thrones, it's mentioned a lot in there. So just wanted to give a heads up for that. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. On this episode, we're going to be covering another topic in media. We're going to be talking about the male gaze. So I have a great panel on, so this should be an interesting discussion. It won't be as heavy as our mental illness discussion and mental health discussion, because that was a really, really heavy episode. So this will still be maybe heavy in some areas, but definitely probably not as triggering. So before I have my panel introduce themselves, just a couple of quick housekeeping notes. Of course, we're taking listener support for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. If you'd like to help the show, feel free to click on the link in our show notes or head on over to our anchor page and click listener support there. Also, we have our Redbubble store. You can pick up some stickers, some other It's a Fandom Thing merch, and Tanya's holding up her water bottle so you can you can get that as well. <laughs> and remember, 50% of what we see from that and also from the listener support, as I announced on our last show, will be split between one Black Lives Matter organization and one Stop Asian Hate organization. And that is going to be going on for the foreseeable future. So just so everybody knows with that little change, if you have any organizations you would like to give a shout out to, anything like that, feel free to reach out to us via all our social media channels or email. Okay, so I'm going to go around and introduce my panel and they can tell me one thing they're into right now. Carla. Hello. And this week, well, for one thing, I'm rewatching Girlfriends and I'm trying to take a strategic approach to it because it's eight seasons. So it's a lot. And I'm trying not to do the thing where I just watch every single episode and get stuck in that vortex. But that's not what I'm obsessed with. That's just what I'm doing. What I'm obsessed with is trying to get more chances to watch Queer as Folk because currently my setup is you know once the kid is in bed if i don't have like a bunch of grown-up stuff to take care of then i would just sit down and like binge as many episodes as i can get before i'm like you know oh, i should probably sleep now so aaron will be very happy to know that i am actually like making progress in my my watching of queer as folk and i'm enjoying it a lot 
It does make me very happy. So far, Carla has a lot of differing opinions from me on certain <laughs> characters. Just a couple. But... <laughs> no big deal. I'm just kind of like breaking down every single thing I don't like about your favorite character. Not big. I know. I know. Every time it's like, oh, Brian, oh, Brian. And I totally get it. I understand. <laughs> but I'm also approaching it from knowing where the show goes to. So that could be part of it. But yeah, I'm like. Please, once season two comes, <laughs> no, but it's a lot of fun to watch. And then Meg. Well, I have to tell you, I'm very familiar with uh, having Carla watch something I love and tearing apart <laughs> characters. That are like, oh, she really is. Yes, <laughs> I really. I mean, just witness every single thread on Gilmore Girls I did while I was watching that show. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I totally get it. But it's just like I don't care. They've been around for my twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. They're horrible, and I know, but I don't care. Um, so aside from watching some like documentaries, I was I've been watching Soul of a Nation, which is airing on ABC. I want to say on Wednesdays. Um, that's really cool. Other than that, Carla finally, I finally broke down and started watching Happy Endings. I'm in the middle of watching it, and I sent her a message, and I'm like, "Hey, Carla, so I know that this." ended earlier than people liked is there any kind of resolution to stuff and she goes well it got canceled unexpectedly so uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> and i'm really really you mad know going into it that it ends unexpectedly so i mean right. like isn't that good enough no it, it's not because that's be that is why i have not been watching i've not watched it <laughs> because i don't like it when shows get unexpectedly canceled i love it but i can enjoy it anyway I'm going to watch more, like, murder documentaries. And <laughs> Just to balance it out. I was watching one of those today, and my eight-year-old came in. She goes, American murder, the family next door. What's that about? <laughs> and I was like, nothing. And then I sent my husband a message, sent my already a text, and be like, hey, just so you know, if you find someone else or you want to start a new life, just let me know and divorce me. I won't fight you. Please don't murder me. <laughs> just your friendly reminder. Sorry. I know you said one thing, but I never, ever listened. <laughs> that's funny and i haven't i've never watched happy endings either so I'll, I'll have to watch that so and tanya that's that's great hi um i was gonna say you could tell your daughter it's about a family next door has crows a whole bunch of crows and <laughs> nothing bad ever happens uh and everybody loves everyone it's pretty boring but the crows find shiny th- anyway oh, okay um so I don't know. Okay, what am I? I'm going to be all over because I had to watch Falcon and Winter Soldier, of course, which I don't want to say more about that in case people haven't seen it. Love, loved WandaVision, but I'm going to say um, Bojack Horseman, which I had not watched before. And my daughter really likes it. And my daughter is 17. Okay, so she's not like a three year old watching this. All right, just want to put that out there. It's not. <laughs> It's not a kid's show, but it's really brilliant. Um, and also I watched uh, Judy about um, Judy Garland. And it was great, which is very like no cowboys, no aliens, no superheroes, no space. Uh, that's really weird for me, but I like it. How did you even get you know. into it? Oh, I just I like Judy Garland. Like I've I've just enjoyed um you know, kind of like things about her and once in a while I'll watch a, a biopic like you know, ones that Aaron is obsessed with, like Rocket Man, or you know, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll watch that. But I'm not, I'm not with you on the murder shows. I can't, I can't do that. So, yeah. And my friends at work were like, "What? What is Judy?" Because they thought it was something like 
sci-fi and I'm like no Judy Garland and they're like looking at me like who are you <laughs> I sometimes act like a middle-aged woman okay it happens they gave you the same look that I'm giving you now like yeah who are I'm you okay yeah and then I watched Star Trek so then it was it, it, <laughs> you're like I've got to balance it out balance in the force <laughs> that's yeah. funny uh, and this is Aaron. And what I'm into is I recently rewatched uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is on Netflix until the end of the month. I highly recommend it. I love that movie so, so, so much. And if you listen to our previous episode, you will hear more about why. But not just the movie that I'm into, I'm into listening to the music on the playlist on Spotify. So if you like 80s, early 90s, that kind of stuff. It's for you. So that's what I'm into is all of that music. And I love that movie. Okay, so let's get into the male gaze in media. And I'm just going to read a little bit here. In case you don't know what the male gaze is. Um, in feminist theory, the male gaze is the act of depicting women and the world in the visual arts and in literature from a masculine heterosexual perspective that presents and represents women as sexual objects for the pleasure of the heterosexual male viewer. So we're going to focus a lot on that in media, like film, um, television, stuff like that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about certain, certain instances where it's turned around and the importance of that and just how the male gaze um, affects women and young girls and teens and all of that. So first off, what I want to talk about is just... Um, what the male gaze means to you, like what examples in your mind do, do you first think of when you're thinking of the male gaze in film or television, Carla? Well, for one thing, for to prepare for, for today's recording, I went through and I just read a bunch about the meaning of it and everything. And I came across this excellent piece on which would be media. That's not what it's called. That's just what I'm calling it. So Meg, if you want to uh, bitch media. Thanks, sweetheart. And this piece is by Naomi McDougall Jones, and she also has a book out about the, the topic. It's so thorough and so well-researched. I really recommend that people read it. And it's called um, Returning Our Heads Inside the Fight to Dismantle the White Gods of Hollywood. Um, and that really, you know, for, for one thing, I like reading things that I can agree with, so... Yay to her on writing that awesome piece that I <laughs> fully agree with. Uh, but as far as like what things that that I see that reflect the male gaze to me is pretty much everything. There are there is just not enough media out there where we don't get that, and it's not even like it's oh in recent in, in recent years it's just gotten so much better because yeah it has to a degree, but. Not nearly enough and not enough to offset the fact that, you know, growing up, um, watching and having like this back catalog of favorite things uh, that are directed by men or by even women, but who cater to the male gaze because that's what's expected of good cinema, supposedly. It, it's just, it's a lot. So like the, the most blatant examples that I can think of are um, the the seminal coming-of-age comedy, Dude, Where's My Car? Where uh, the, the boys are 
you know, they had the girlfriends. And I mean, it's Ashton Kutcher and Sean William Scott. And they're dressed all schlubby and they can be, you know, like, they basically look unwashed, which is totally cool, apparently. But their girlfriends are, like, coiffed and made up. And they're wearing, like, these, like, tight, short mini skirts. And, and when I think of, you know, most of my favorite films, it's a lot of just, you know, cute girls and how they're dressed. And, you know, you look at them boobs up you know like the first gaze that you get of a of a woman character is usually the boobs or the butt or her flipping her hair or her lips or just some sexualized body part and it's really a shame because you know that from that point on you can kind of tell how much you're going to be given to care about this character um and so it's just really sad. And, you know, uh, when you talk about when I was talking about women directors and how it's like, oh, well, we're going to get a, so, so much of, of a better viewpoint. It's like, no, it's not necessarily true because Sofia Coppola directed Lost in Translation. And the first thing you see is Scarlett Johansson's butt. So and but again, you know, the, that's the kind of thing where, you know, it may not be the director's preference. But if you want to be taken seriously in Hollywood, you have to direct like a man. At least you you did. I I think things are getting better, but it's just so slow because if you look at the slate of women directors, it is so tiny, the opportunities that are given to them. But so, yeah, it's, you know, I I can't pick my top even five depictions because it's just in pretty much everything. Mm Meg? Uh, yeah, actually, I was reading an article that as of last year, 95% of media is still white male gaze. Um, so it is one of those things where, and I was trying to think, and I was I was trying to think, I was like, well, what, am I, what examples am I going to come from? And I just literally have to just, like, close my eyes and point. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where it is. Because, yeah, women are generally seen as objects or not even just, not even just objectifying women as sexual objects, but female characters in general seem to their import importance is directly tied to how they make the male characters feel like whether or not a man wants to have sex with them or if he's afraid of them or if he hates them and if he does hate them then she's going to be seen as a ball busting bitch if it's something like that um she's not going to be seen as sexy until you know she takes her glasses off and then and then she'll be, yeah, like all of us with glasses on. We just suddenly. Give me a second while I just take my glasses off, just like Tanya and Aaron just did. I want to be sexy like all of you. Take the glasses off and let the hair down. And then she suddenly like lets loose. And then because I mean. And and Carla said oh, kind of a lot of it really well. It's it's really hard even with female directors. I can think I can think of maybe two examples that don't feature the male gaze in media like that I can point to right away. Um, But it's not like, yeah, it's not even just like seeing women as sexual objects. It's like this weird obsession. Like even if you're doing a murder, watching a murder mystery or criminal minds and the way the camera pans on dead bodies are different between men and women. Somehow a woman's dead body, they're still going to start at the feet and like work there almost in, in a, like in an almost sexual kind of view, which is gross. Cause they're dead. Um, but men, it's usually like, here's his face. 
like and it's and it's important that usually the first thing you see of men is their face the first thing you see of women is usually their boobs or some other body part or their ass or something like in lost in translation or look at all the james bond movies like look at just the iconic stepping out of the water in a bikini Mm -hmm. that is never how i have looked at anybody (laughs) (laughs) except maybe Raphael in Jane the Virgin, Virgin when we are supposed to, and he takes his shirt off. <laughs> I, I can tell you that I've never gotten out of a pool like that. Not like that, yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, no, it's more... mostly me awkwardly trying to get up over the lip of the pool, you know, like feeling like mm-hmm. I'm weighing like 500 pounds, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, and like hiking yeah. one leg up to the edge. Yeah, like, oh god, this yeah. is my bad knee. Like, Give me a sec. I'm like, pushing try, myself up like, like a toddler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my my worst is if I did come out of the water like that, I would definitely the there'd be a boob hanging out. I mean, and not to feature the male gaze because there'd be a malfunction. That's just my you know, I'd be trying to be sexy and I would either have something that should not be out being out or I would have one of those fun things that happens when you swim. I'm going to get gross. We're going to go there. We're like you just have the big old booger. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like what what oh <laughs> yeah i would i would be the person trying to walk like all sexy like and slip and just fall yeah not even into the pool i would fall into like just bushes and stuff because <laughs> i fall upstairs i'm very clumsy but yeah the thing the thing that's so hard about this topic is that male everything is from the male gaze True. you read books and I don't know if you guys have seen on the internet the example of the egg, like an excerpt of a book of a man writing about just a female character. And so much is focused on her bouncy boobs bouncing around and they're in the way while she's trying to eat stuff. And like, we're able to like work our lives with these. So we don't think, it's not that deep, y'all. We don't think about it. Like, I don't go down the stairs going, oh, my boobs. I just bounce, bounce, bounce. <laughs> But it's it's just it's everywhere and it's mm-hmm. and it's so hard to even think of examples just because we could sit here and just list stuff exactly forever. And yeah, I thank you. I appreciate that. And I we're gonna hopefully get into like Bechtel test and a little bit of um things like that as well in terms of gender equality. But I think the real problem with male gaze is that it's so dehumanizing, right? It just takes all of the complexity, not complicated, the complexity out of a character. And it's just, it's lazy writing too. It's not that you cannot show people sexually. It's that it just turns that person into an object. Um, And, you know, it's, it's frustrating, but the image that I thought of other than James Bond was Princess Leia in the bikini. I was trying to think of sci-fi examples because for me growing up, you know, Star Wars was like the first um, geek media stuff that I really would have been getting into. Um, and just, I know that they, they turned that around a bit into a bit more of an empowerment scene, but the fact that that's one of the most common cosplays, the fact that, you know, she really didn't want to wear that. Um, and like, that's her whole, her whole kind of character. And then she, my understanding is she felt so much pressure to, um, be physically, prepared or whatever for that role that didn't help her mental health and and drug drug use issues i don't know all of that but and and star wars didn't do anything to turn that around and make it more empowering carrie fisher did yep herself talking Mm -hmm. about like i was being forced to do something and then guess what 
he's dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that wasn't that wasn't Lucas uh, films or Star Wars doing that, right? That and that, cool. yeah. And she's, I mean, the fact that that is such a fantasy for for men our age, I suppose. I'm Gen X, um, you know, and it's just so frustrating. It's it's um, it's not to me the male gaze is not only about objectification. It's also about power power over women, de- taking away their humanity, their individuality, and their power. And it's oppressive in that way. Like, I guess we're going to get into the full feminist uh, thing. But that that one really stood out to me. And I loved, um, you know, growing up, I loved those films. I loved Indiana Jones. But we recently rewatched some Indiana Jones. And holy cultural appropriation problems batman like it was just like ooh, ooh, this is not good and then i will say in some of the films um i'm thinking of why this is terrible that i can't remember her name um in raiders the love interest uh she's a little bit more of a character like the the girlfriend you know who i'm talking about Mm -hmm. um Versus the second film, and why can't I remember her name? I feel bad now. It'll come to me later. Um, Kate Yeah, no, the Kate Capshaw's character is so like just screaming. You know, she's she's a great actor, and I didn't hate that character, but the fact that she's just like objectified and and you know, kind of screaming and helpless. And I'm I mean the other the other film. Um, oh shoot, it'll come back. But yeah, that's that's such a problem and. It's frustrating to think that, you know, those are the examples that I grew up with, like for, for what women had to be, I guess we're getting into the next, the next topic a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, like everybody said, it's hard to not come up with examples. It'd be easier probably to say, here's five films that don't do this (laughs) or five TV shows that don't do this. Um, and there's this good YouTube video that compares watching Suicide Squad, watching, um, you know, Margot Robbie's character. Why can't I remember her name all of a sudden? Uh, you know, in Birds of Prey, you know, Margot Robbie's character. You know um, who she plays? Harley Quinn. Thank you. Harley, yeah. um, I was like, the yeah. pigtails? I- <laughs> watching, watching her in Suicide Squad, which is directed by a man, and then watching her in Birds of Prey, which is directed by a woman, and watching her introduction, where in Suicide Squad, she's introduced and she's wearing these stiletto heels, and the camera pans up her legs, and she's in these stiletto heels, of course, and that's how you're introduced. So you're introduced to her not as a human being, but as a body as a body part to ogle as a man. And then when you compare it and then she's wearing like something really sexy and that shows off stuff. And, and then when you compare it to in birds of prey, she's wearing heels, but there are these more like uh, not fashionable boots necessarily. And she's wearing this coat and she's got her hair, but she's got this hat on. She looks fashionable and pretty, but it's not dressed to just um, arouse a man. So it's more, you're seeing her as a full human being and then they also show a scene from suicide squad where she's basically in just underwear and the camera's panning up her body and then she's putting on this and it lingers on her breasts and she puts on this shirt that says daddy's little monster you know and it's got this close-up of her breasts and all these men around are ogling her and then of course there's a scene she bends over and it's close up on her ass and all that stuff so it's, it's a really good youtube video just to watch the comparisons because you do see the difference having a female director can sometimes make. I mean, of course, when we talk about Lost in Translation, that didn't happen. 
But a lot of times when you do have a female director, you will sometimes be able to see a difference there um, because the f- through the female eye, they're not necessarily leering at the woman because that's a lot of what it is, is leering. And yeah, so it's very, it's nearly impossible to find any example where that doesn't happen, especially if it's directed by a man. And I don't know if anyone recently heard about Sharon, um, Sharon Stone's recent uh, autobiography that she released. And she said in there that she had a very prominent white male producer say to her, you need to have sex with your co-star so you will have better on-screen chemistry. Yeah, and I totally believe that would happen. So it's, and I think that plays into this whole thing too. And of course, you have with her, with Basic Instinct, that scene where she crosses and uncrosses her legs and she has always, always said to this day, she was told to take her underwear off because of the camera and that you were never going to see anything. And then the first time she knew was she was sitting there with like her lawyers and her agents and stuff. And then she saw, you know, that there she was mm-hmm. for everybody to see, which is just disgusting. And of course, she's supposed to be this powerful woman and this powerful character, this femme fatale. But at the same time, it's kind of painting her completely as a sex object. Like all she's good for is what's between her legs. So, well, and that's where her power is. Exactly. Like we talk about it being like this really power, as even like, and that's what's so frustrating when we when we consume so much media and we talk about like female empowerment and what, the examples that we're seeing of female empowerment is generally sexual empowerment. It's mm-hmm. females, you women, females, women using their sexuality as a way to like control men or to get what they want. And, Mm -hmm. and to some degree I can like, there's such a fine line between women owning our sexuality and our bodies and not feeling like any shame of doing that. But the portrayal is always like, if she wants to have any power, this is the only way she's going to be able to do it. She's only going to be able to use feminine wiles to kind of get her way and and just looking at how nudity is depicted in the media versus men versus women how many like honestly how many dicks do we see exactly yeah and, right mm-hmm. like i'm not and don't the answer not to that asking is... to see a bunch of dicks okay? <laughs> the answer to that is more than we want to usually <laughs> More than anybody. <laughs> Where are all the little, like, the tasteful side peen? Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some that side tasteful side What we're saying is sideball. No, I'm just, just kidding. Just, just a little, I, just tiny a little bit of side sack. I'm so sorry. I don't, that is not cool. Oh, I don't want to see that. I'm picturing unfortunate fitting swimsuits and old dad. And I, like, you know, I'm sorry. No. Like the speedos and one plum just falls right out. <laughs> oh, yes. well, like with, I mean, women we have cleavage and then the butt cleavage that men seem to really get into. And that's a thing. Yeah, that's that's oh, like oh, a oh, god. Okay. Yeah, the upper butt crack. His yeah. crack is whack, man. I don't. <laughs> I don't want a coin slot. No, I don't want coins in there. The butt crack <laughs> bandit or the ass crack bandit or whatever. And again, and again, I am not saying I want you know, to see men's hairy ass crack. I don't yeah. want. I don't want that. But it's important to note that even the ratings and how, like, mm-hmm. a female nude females or boob shots on women. Um, can still get a PG thirteen uh, rating if you even consider a dick. NC seventeen. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would rather look at boobs than than a bunch of peni. 
And I'm straight. Yourself, but I'm thinking <laughs> of, I'm thinking specifically of Trading Places and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis doing mm-hmm. Full Frontal. And it's no big, you know, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm being facetious, by the way. It, it's like, no big deal. Like, whatever. She's there to be sexy. Like, of course, she's going to be full frontal. But yeah, of course, you have a peen in there. And suddenly it's like, <gasps> we can't. We just can't. Yeah, the scandal. Like, uh, there's still, you know, sexual organs that are supposedly covered up. There's still, like, the naughty bits. So why are some person's naughty bits okay and some other person's naughty bits super naughty? Well, it's like, boobs are okay as long as they're sexualized. Right, of course. If they're, if they're, if you're seeing boob for something, anything other than what dudes want and, and sexuality or sexualization, then people don't want to see them. That's why we have so much issues when we look at breastfeeding in public right. and things like that. Like, oh, wait a minute. You're using your boobs for what they're intended? No, 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 no. Tanya, yeah. did you want to say something like that? Yeah, and then I have thought of a lot of jokes in the meantime because you, y'all didn't see Meg's gesture for the, the penai. Um, what accompanied, accompanied that? And it's a shame. It's just a flopping around hand, and it's amazing. It's definitely the universal gesture for her. that okay but on a more serious note i remember the character's name is is marion ravenwood good lord i could remember karen allen who's the actor in indiana jones okay but there we go coming back though i think i wanted to point out i i'm sure i'm not the only person to to say this it might have been in my preparation but this is insofar as it's about power it's also about men putting their bullshit onto women like making women responsible for their reactions to women. Um, And that is uh, extremely problematic and extremely toxic in terms of our culture that seems to be okay with sexual assault. I know we aren't supposed to be as serious in this, in this version and there will be more jokes, but it just, I think that we need to talk about how our media just in the same way that stereotypes about people of different groups are a problem this is a problem in that it it kind of is influenced by and reinforces the sort of, if you want to call it rape culture or sexual assault culture that's extremely problematic for everybody. Um, one other point about the male gaze that I think it was good y'all were pointing out is even if you've got a female director, sometimes women also internalize the male gaze and the objectification. So we're clarifying here, this is where you get three seconds of a social lecture and then it's back to dick jokes. But, um, you know, we're clarifying here that it's, it's existing at the cultural level. It's a structural problem. It's not, um, it's not just individuals and it's not something inherent only to male bodied people with privilege. It's a cultural problem. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why women can fall into that as well. And I do think it's important, as Meg was pointing out, that this is also typically the most privileged. So white, heterosexual, straight, cisgender men. So I want to kind of put all those intersections in there um, mm-hmm. as we're thinking about this. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And and don't worry about when I said it wasn't going to be as serious. I just meant we talked about very heavy things last night. I mean, very heavy. I'm just saying it's not going to be all of that. We were all crying by the end. So. That's all I'm saying. I'm well, just saying. Well, give me time. <laughs> We're going to 
cry because of no I'm just kidding yeah thank you that's and oh I had a birds of prey comment sorry my son just watched birds of prey and he was he loved it and he said you know the sandwich he might have got this from a video essay that he saw but the sandwich that she's after in birds of prey Uh, yeah Mm -hmm. represents like the love interest right and it almost serves like a fridged woman character um and then which was interesting. And I don't know if he, if that's his idea or he got that from something he watched, but I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. Also, whenever, whenever somebody says females, I hear Frangie female, like from Star Trek. (laughs) She's a female. I I promise I don't refer to women as females. I don't know why that came out of my mouth. Cause it's just so. Well, I want to talk about how this, has affected us personally or how we think it affects young girls and teenagers and even as adults just watching this and consuming this all the time since as we've said the examples of it not existing we can count on just our fingers compared to the examples of it existing so how do you think this has affected you and people you know Carla well to start and I mean I'm I'm just going to reference all of these articles that I read just because they're really good and if anybody wants to to read them, they absolutely should. They're fantastic. This one was written by Shreya Bothra for Livewire, um, and it's called How the Male Gaze Alters the Way We See Ourselves, which is ultimately the big deal here. It's that it's, you know, we internalize this so much, and the way that we're depicted, the way that we see ourselves growing up, the way that we see our bodies used, absolutely affects us on a deeper level than I think has been properly quantified. Um, I don't think that enough has been done to really get to um, to the depth of understanding that we need for why this can be so harmful and why it is so harmful. Um, you know, there's definitely, I think, a correlation between for example, in, in the 90s, that uh, what was called the heroin chic look, where you had all of these mo- models who were mm-hmm. unbelievably skinny. And you had, you know, like Kate Moss as an example. And you had Fiona Apple in her early career in the videos, um, which is, you know, it's not a dig against naturally hyper skinny people, but it is a dig at the industry you know, the fashion industry, the music industry, film, TV, et cetera, that capitalize on this and push this on the public to where even people who are naturally thin, svelte, whatever you want to call it, felt like they were over overweight in comparison to these to these people. And you you couple that with body dysmorphia already that a lot of people who are born into female bodies and don't identify as women feel, you know, you, you have already the pressure to look to, to force your body into this um, mold. And then at the same time, hate the fact that your body looks like anything to, to resemble this in the first place. So there's so much already at play. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that as a society, we do enough to really, um, undercut that in some way you know there's a lot of the body positive movement was originally created by fat people to see themselves represented and to feel good about themselves in their fat bodies it wasn't to make skinny people feel better it wasn't to make Mm -hmm. average size people feel good about themselves um 
but it was to make specifically fat people because of the, the, that's the demographic that is the most harmed by these harmful stereotypes. It was created for them by them to lessen the stigma that surrounds their body and their experience. Um, and now it's been co-opted by model thin people on Instagram who, you know, they, they hashtag body positivity and it's their bikini bodies on a yacht. And, you know, they're showing tiny nalgas for the world to to see. And they're like, oh, look at, you know, body positivity. Accept your body as it is. Well, what are you really saying by that? So, I, you know, we're nowhere near the progress that we need to make as a society. And it's a, just a, a collection of humans to empower people to just accept that they're perfectly good as they are. There's also like so much shaming that comes through with, you know, the, the idea of like, oh, I'm just saying this for your health. Like, I'm really worried about your health. I'm worried about your, um, your BMI. I'm worried about, you know, your risk for stroke and overall, you know, et cetera, whatever. Um, and I, I think it, it goes even as deep as the medical professional profession where you have so many doctors who push the idea of BMI, which it doesn't matter what your BMI is necessarily because if if you're a muscular person who just, you know, you're like, <laughs> I'm a muscular person who has like a lot of softness around that muscle. So my weight is like a lot more than um, somebody just looking at me might think. So my BMI is like way off the charts. And likewise, you know, it doesn't really matter whether you have all that muscle underneath or not. It's like your BMI does not reflect your health. So in that sense, it, it's also, you know, you walk into a doctor's office and they don't like what they see. Already they're ready. They're getting ready to stigmatize you because they're like, well, you know, you could look so much better. You know, like, wouldn't it feel great to be lighter? And, you know, so you're even getting it from the medical profession telling you that you don't fit in, you know, like. Um, that for your height, you really should look more like, you know, like if, if you want to talk about, you know, a chubby girl, maybe look at Kate Winslet. Like, Kate Winslet's not chubby. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know how many times she got so, she got so shamed. Um, she did. For yeah. Titanic because, mm-hmm. she right, because she was looked supposedly like chunky. She, well, she had a healthy weight. Yeah. Right. She um, was just, yeah. No, but and, in the but she wasn't everybody like, was saying that she was so brave. Yeah. for mm-hmm. showing up on film with her extra weight and it's like she didn't have so well, much and, extra weight and, and they're talking at, about plus size models and they're supposed to be 10. so brave yeah they're size 10 like i'm sorry but the average size is what 12 14 16 yeah mm-hmm. and we're acting like these people shouldn't be allowed to be shown on screen like they just don't belong mm-hmm. well and i think i think that's kind of an interesting topic because when you do have sorry one more thing also the fact you know you conflate that with race because you look at the at the body shapes of people who are black or latinx and they have you know maybe a bigger booty maybe bigger boobs wider hips whatever attribute you might you might want to ascribe and you shame people for those attributes and it has really nothing to do with health. It's just about 
finding another way to shame somebody for what they look like and then to pick it to their race. And like what I was saying before about the the, the fake uh, caring about the the health. I mean, oh, but I'm worried about your blood pressure and blah, blah, blah. Like, what do you actually know about this person's health? Well, and that's, and that's so having weight and your health being this conflation, like weight equals health um, is would, I would laugh at it if it wasn't so infuriating because I was my unhealthiest when I was also my skinniest. Like I, I was fair. I was always fairly thin growing up and everything like that. And I remember, and I was, I had a metabolism where I could eat whatever I want and I would never gain weight. And I missed that. Um, <laughs> yay thirties. Um, but I remember being called bulimic anorexic. I remember being made fun of for being skinny. And that's obviously not like, a, oh, poor me or anything like that. But it's a kind of a mentality where generally women and girls can't win. Yeah. Unless mm-hmm. you are like perfectly fit in this very, very narrow perception of mm-hmm. beauty and, and quote unquote healthy, um, you just can't win. I was always a very normal height and weight, you know, on, on the scale. I was always a very normal um, yeah. thing, but I kept getting getting comments and then I put on weight and get comments. And, and as far as media's depiction, um, you can either be sexualized because you're thin and beautiful or you can be the funny one. So you don't have to be funny if you're beautiful, but if you're in and skinny, but if you're anything other than conventionally beautiful, you better be funny. You better have something that will make people want to be around you because just being you isn't enough. And then there's always that comment about like, oh, this this woman is funny. She must have been ugly or fat when she was a kid. And that mentality is just and that's something that's hammered home. Like Shallow Hal is probably one of the worst. Mm-hmm. Like just it's it's awful. Okay, <laughs> I, I I hate that movie so much, but that's not even where I was gonna come in at. But I think it's important to note that the male gaze doesn't just affect girls growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it affects boys. Um, it affects because the male gaze doesn't just objectify women. It also objectifies men. You look at you hear about how men dehydrate actors, dehydrate themselves and starve themselves and work themselves to this horrifically unhealthy. Like muscular thing for movies and stuff like that. And boys see that and they think, OK, that's what I should look like. And that's what women should look like. And the male gaze is painful for both of them. And it hurts girls growing up and women growing up and and women, especially if you're a girl and you don't fit that, that little narrow thing. If our standard of beauty that you see all the time is white, blonde haired, blue eyed, and you're not those things, Mm -hmm. then what does that make you feel like? How does that affect you as you, as you grow up? I, I am white with blonde hair and blue eyes. Um, So like I, I have plenty of room. I don't need to see any more of that. Um, but if you're a boy and you're growing up and you're and you're being trained from a young age, we look at even Disney movies or kid movies. Women don't generally have a lot of agency in those. If you look at Cinderella, if you look at Sleeping Beauty, if you look at Snow White, these women are always generally fairly passive in those movies and being and being saved by men. And that shapes how people view themselves. It shapes how people view the other gender. And I think the over-sexualization of women 
through media has really garnered a lot of horrible, horrible real life situations mm-hmm. that we see. And I mean, and I feel like, like, I know you're like, we're not going to get too deep, but you can talk about, you know, that's not what I was saying at all. I was just saying we weren't. Getting... <laughs> I'm going to throw a trigger warning out there too, but I think rape culture ties yep. into, into all of this mm-hmm. too, or this ties into rape culture because when you're only seeing women as objects and, and only there for male consumption, then we stop being people. And yeah. if you don't see someone as a person, it's very easy to violate them. Mm-hmm. So. I agree. And I, yeah, thank you for, for that. I was, I was just going to add, I don't want to interrupt, but I was going to add the male gaze is really like a double-edged sword because it hurts women in that we get this pressure, women and girls that we have to fit that narrow standard or turn up, turn ourselves literally into an object to be worthy of attention. Mm -hmm. And it also socializes boys and men that they should be interested in objectifying or interested in seeing women that way and only interested in sex or hyper interested in sex. So it reinforces not just the objectification of women, but all of that other gender, toxic gender garbage that kind of comes along with it that we're, that we're pointing out. Um, and I think you're you're absolutely correct in that it plays into that culture of catcalling and, and lack of consent. And it gets into our own heads as women that, oh, we need to be attractive. So if a man tells me I look good, I should smile and say thank you. Even if that attention is not something I want, it somehow puts it on my plate as though I'm responsible for that. Like I, we just watched this video in my class this week. <laughs> So turning into a teacher, but it's a woman walking around New York a few years ago, recording instances of catcalling. You probably know what I'm talking about. It was kind of went viral and it's just, you know, I don't think the intent, like some of the men are just saying hello and whatnot. And I don't think the intent is, um, you know, to, to really put her in this category of feeling really uncomfortable but talk about male gaze. I mean, it is so uncomfortable. And there are people that follow her or they like just stare right at her butt. And, you know, she did not ask for that attention and it should not be her problem. Right. And like, and then she's expected, like women are expected yeah. to be grateful. Yeah. Oh, somebody gave you a compliment. Someone's smiling at you, you know, and when, as much as we teach that to our kids, that that's okay for all kids, that's not okay. Like we we're we're working on that just in our family. And then one other point about this, I I'm going to give you a citation. <laughs> um, no, this I was thinking a lot about this concept um, in in academics and gender studies. It's an older article. It's called "Doing Gender," and the idea here is gender is not just a status or an identity. It's an interaction, and I really feel like the male gaze fits in this category of doing gender. So anytime you see a woman being womanly or feminine, right? You are sort of setting it up or reifying or constructing that that is inherent to being a woman. So it's like this weird, um, you know, social constructure that erases itself as it's happening. So people, you know, see women wearing high heels and wearing dresses and, and being hyper, hyper feminine or whatever our culture standards are. And they think, oh, that's, just what the XX chromosomes give you. That's what it means to be a woman. And it's like, no, that's the construction part because those things, high heels, right? Those all used to be male makeup, wigs, right? Mm -hmm. Those used to be dude things. 
Um, so it's just, I think that's the part of this that I really want us to think about is like, how are these media examples contributing to us assuming that this is some sort of inherent to our, our uh, chromosomes garbage? And that's the sociologist in me talking for sure that this is a lot of construction. Does that mean you shouldn't like embrace your feminine side? No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like when we reduce that to that objectification or that we exist to make a man happy. We're either a mom, we're a, you know, sex toy, or we're a, I read this term in, in my research, my, my research, the <laughs> hour I spent looking at stuff, it, it wasn't that grand, but I read this thing about the, something about the FFT and I'm going to swear. Can I swear? Oh yeah. I, okay. I have Almost every okay. episode is explicit, by the way. So it's well, we're gonna get our PG thirteen rating right now. So the it's Carla, the... keep your boobs in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> PG thirteen. <laughs> um, it's called the the fighting fuck toy. So it's when a woman is in, and you everybody's nodding because it's like you think of just about anything with mm-hmm. Mila Jojovich, right? <laughs> Where she's like, or um. <clears throat> Oh gosh, with the Tomb Raider movie, Angelina Jolie. Angelina yeah, Jolie. yeah, yeah. The 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 movies where the character is she's a badass, but she's got to be a fuckable badass. Yeah, because well, she's all not. Video games. You know, because <laughs> if she's not a little stupider than a man or a sex object, ooh, she's too threatening. Yeah. Yep. I like that. I should. That should be the title of this episode. I'll just do. <laughs> but, fighting yeah no fft oh, fighting okay. fighting the fft not yeah like yeah. that was i didn't i read that somebody else came up with that that's not a oh no i know, know but i'm i i want to claim the the universal gesture for peni flapping around i coined that <laughs> I, a little bit of side sack it's like an like, elephant the side yeah the i'm picturing those nut. those uh people that flap oh the yeah yes car dealerships <laughs> just dicks just yeah. flapping around. <laughs> That's well, what they represent. Well, that actually, what you just said just kind of reminded me of something because I remember. So, do- I was on the Doctor Who episode because Doctor Who is like one of my favorite shows, and River Song is one of my favorite characters in that whole thing. And I was talking to a man once about it, and he was like, "I don't really like River Song," and I was like, "Why? She's amazing!" Like, and he's like, "I no one is supposed. She's smarter than the Doctor, and I don't like that." And I was like, oh, I, I like, I didn't even know how to respond to that. Like, of course she's smarter than the doctor. <laughs> she's River Song. She's amazing. But yeah, it's not just like a sexual thing. Women yeah. have to be inferior to the male protagonist in some way, or they have to die for man pain to push that character forward. And that's, and it, it is, going back, it is really harmful when you're consuming that from a very young age. You consume that message that women are there to serve men mm-hmm. yeah. and, and men's stories. Right. We don't get to have our own um, interests, agency or, you know, um, validity. And then it's it's so hard because as that excuse me, but that screws you up so much as a young person that you don't even really realize it's happening until you get to your forties and you're like, fuck it. You know? <laughs> oh start- shit. I'm going to learn. Like, yeah. And I'm so angry. Like you wonder why women are angry all the time. Cause it's, 
we're furious you know this is we don't i swear we don't have our monthlies because of biology it just has to get out of us (laughs) it's like letting steam and it's just rage (laughs) and if i don't let it out i will just yeah that's not blood it's rage it's just (laughs) it's it's my body being like i don't know what to do with this well and then the thing is if we do do a movie or a tv show that's like validating and empowering to women without sexual or on their on their terms it better be amazing yeah everything that we see is going on you're not every fail you're not allowed to have any foibles or any bad uh, storytelling or any bad cinematography or anything it has to be absolutely perfect or else because heaven forbid that you make the same mistakes as a show led written directed starred in by a man well and 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 i think a really good and and it has to fit in with what society as a whole thinks is the right way to do it right Um, and an example i'm going to throw out here is wap wap has been thrown all over the place lately for being too sexual and and too vulgar and disgusting, and people are talking about how Megan Thee Stallion, yes, Tanya. I'm I'm sorry, <laughs> okay. but I'm only familiar with the kids' bop song "WAP," which is than <laughs> pancakes. This is wings and pizza. pizza. Wings and what pizza. is so vulgar about pancakes? And what? No, I'm kidding. I'm yeah, <laughs> but like everything with oh, the great was coming. Yeah, <laughs> but it is, it kills me because. This song is all about women owning their sexuality mm-hmm. and the power that comes with that and, and embracing it. And and it may not, it's not a song for everybody. I know several people who who don't like it or anything like that. But the point is, is people are comparing this to pornography. Like they're mm-hmm. saying, they're like, oh, you have a problem with Dr. Seuss books, but you're okay with WAP? And I'm like, okay, WAP is an adult song for adults. <laughs> If you're letting your kid listen to WAP, then that's a you problem. That is not a that's not a problem for Cardi B or Megan the Stallion. And and because I know we talked we've talked so much about like movies and shows, but within music industry, it's the same same thing. If you look at any song that is overtly sexual for women, it has to be heavily censored when you talk about it. If it's by women, if you look at like I remember when I was a teenager. It has, to have my... it has to be, yeah. you know, flowery and whatever. Like, like you have to Georgia O'Keeffe it. Yeah, like my neck, my back is something right. that I remember as a teenager that was like, oh, and I'm like, okay, I don't want my kids listening to that song, obviously, but that has nothing to do with who's singing it. I don't want my kids singing, listening to like Dick in a Box either. <laughs> well, the, the other thing though to remember is that also we are while we are highly sexualized, we're also a very puritanical society. So we're fine with showing a lot of violence, especially with violence against women. But when it comes to sexuality and owning your sexuality and showing a lot of sexuality and be more open about that, that's a Mm no-no. Yet it's, yet everybody really wants everything to be highly sexualized. So it's like, it's this but, weird thing in America, in America, I'm just talking about in America because I know it's other places too. And so so that, that's another thing to remember because it's like, that's, it's like as a woman, you are told you should be one thing in private and then in mm-hmm. public, you need to be something else. So in private, a you should be a whore. You should be a, a whore in, in private. And then in public, you should be this very clean cut woman if you are to be taken seriously. 
Um, and so that, and so that really can play with your head and with your thoughts and with your brain and with your mentality. Um, because if you think, how am I supposed to be these two different people? And then if that other person that's in the bedroom, if that whore that you're supposed to be in the bedroom comes out in any other way, then you're thought of as nothing. And you're thought of as less than nothing. You're thought of as someone that can be used Mm -hmm. yet. This is what we want to portray in media. I mean, going back to with my personal me too moment that happened, the very specific things that happened leading up to that were a lot of that breaking down your character, like saying, I want to be able to pick out the bra you're wearing because I want to make sure your bra is highlighting your breasts the way I want it to be highlighted. So I'm going to pick out your bra for you. I want to meet you in this hotel room, this hotel in the lobby, this nice hotel so that you can think that I'm higher up so that you trust me enough to let your guard down. When we get on this set and you're wearing a tight thing, I'm going to tell you, you should dress like that all the time. Mm-hmm. At a school, you should not, I mean, you know, the tight. <laughs> and then when I film you in that, I'm going to make sure to film you from bottom to top. So it's that kind of thing. And then saying, I'm going to give you salad because you have your makeup on. It'll be too hard to eat this fried chicken that I'm ordering for everybody else. So I'm going to order you a salad. And then when it comes time to eat, I'm going to deny you that salad. So it's like this weird thing of saying you're, you know, I'm going to take care of you, but I'm going to take away things so that I have more power and control over you. So it's easier for me to break you down or it's easier for me to get what I want out of you. So that's, that's, and I think doing that to people, it all stems from the fact partly, and I'm not blaming it entirely on media because you can't, I mean, you can't do that because I think you, you know, people have to Mm -hmm. take ownership, but when you see it in media all the time, says that's okay. Acting like that is okay. Treating a woman like she's your property and telling her what she's supposed to do with her body. You know, it even stems with pro-choice and all of that stuff. Telling a woman what she should do with her body, that's okay because that's what we are told is okay in all forms of media. So that's it's reinforced constantly. It's such a double standard too when you think about like sexualizing women. Men sexualizing women through the male gaze and through media and things like that, that's fine. That's expected. That's what we, that's how women want to be seen as sexual, mm-hmm. quote unquote, want to be seen. Uh, women sexualizing themselves and using their own sexuality, um, that's not the right kind. That's not like, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not. <laughs> First of all, when it, when it comes to that, that song, um, there's also that level of racism because Black women, especially, their sexuality is exploited in such a different way and in such a proprietary way where not only um, do we want to tell you how you can be sexual, we want to own that because we own you. And, and that's just, you know, one of the legacies of, of racism and, and slavery and just all of that. But just to, to bring it back to to myself, um, I you know, like all of I would like to list all of the ways in which. I have either felt myself to be unattractive or uh, made myself extra unattractive because I didn't want to attract the wrong kind of attention. And that goes from everything from, you know, wearing extra baggy clothing because I didn't want to be looked at to the way that I hold myself in public, the way that I walk, the way that I just do anything because um you know, there's the whole concept of not only do I not enjoy that attention, but I shouldn't enjoy that attention um, because it's wrong and it's uh, it's you know 
quote unquote slutty and you know and this is everything from you know wearing a shirt that's fitted and i'm not even talking about showing much guys and i'm just sitting here saying like a shirt that actually fits well it's just too much oh it's too sexy it's too sexy you know the 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 whole um idea that um if i'm walking around just being myself and some, suddenly some guy pays attention and suddenly I'm walking like I have a stick up my butt. My mom, my mom called my attention to that one time that a guy was like, you know, looking at me appreciatively. And suddenly I just, you know, completely changed everything about the way that I was standing and walking. And I'm like, yeah, because I don't want him to think that he has permission to approach me. And that's just how I just have always interacted with the world. Because I feel like men have been, you know, at least cis men have been led to believe that they are allowed to approach you if you happen to exist in their general vicinity. So for me, it's always been a matter of just absolute terror of walking around and being noticed. But also there's this whole component of, um, I, I just, I having to be very mindful of everything all the time that I'm not, um, being too casual with somebody where they think that they can form an expectation because, you know, in all these movies, if you do this, this guy thinks that you're in love with him and that you want to have sex with him. And, you know, like at least growing up for me in Mexico, you're super affectionate with your, with your friends, no matter what their gender is. And you, you know, you hug, you kiss, and that's, that's just friendship. You offer your house to them. You offer to help them with stuff because that's just what friendship is for me growing up in Mexico and I get here and one of my close guy friends, he was always just so weird about it because to him, the fact that I'm offering, you know, like, you know, I see that you're very busy. You're always in and out of town and you don't have time to do stuff for yourself. And I have a key to your house. So I'm going to just pop in and do the dishes suddenly like, Oh no, she likes me too much. It's like, no bro, I'm trying to help you because I know that you have, a hard time getting around to them. So any, um, it, it's clothing, it's behavior, it's being too friendly. It's um, not feeling like smiling. So suddenly I'm not friendly enough. It's being at the same time too sexy, not sexy enough. And it, there's just never a right answer. There's never a right answer. There's unending pressure to get it right. And it's never going to be right. So, you know, like, fortunately I got to the point where I'm like, well, screw it. If it's never going to be right, I'm just going to be me and you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, but a lot of people don't necessarily get to that point. So they're always living on tender hooks and always thinking, I always have to live along this imagined line of who I can be because that's what the movies taught us. I know that if I put too much effort into this friendship, this person's going to think that I want to bone him or even worse this guy assaulted me because I gave him the wrong signals or because I gave him mixed signals. And of course it's my fault. And of course I shouldn't have been so friendly with him. I shouldn't have done so much for him. I shouldn't have dressed that way in front of him. And I'm wrong for that. And that is the absolutely most disgusting legacy of the male gaze is the fault that it puts on on women uh, for doing everything wrong, no matter what you do. 
Yeah, I just wanted to, like, you talking about that made me think of that video uh, narrated by uh, Cynthia Nixon, that Be a Lady video, and that the such a, it does do a good job of kind of highlighting the pressures that women put on themselves, and that nothing is good enough. Like, you can be sexy, but not too sexy, because you don't want to be a slut. The Be a Lady thing was something that just popped into my head while you were talking about that, and I know that it's not, like, perfect, because nothing... <laughs> Like it's never gonna be, it's never gonna be perfect. Um, but and when you talk about like dressing up in hoodies and things like that, and it's so interesting when people like men talk about how they feel deceived when women wear makeup, and they feel like it's a deception, which is stupid because then you get mad at women for not wearing makeup. So what you really want us to do is put makeup on that looks like we're not wearing makeup. Um, and so we just had, and it doesn't even occur to people that when I put makeup on it, it's for me. <laughs> It is not for anyone else to look at. It's because I feel like putting on makeup and I and I feel like playing with myself. My playing with myself. Jesus Christ. Playing with my face. <laughs> That's Make that a whole different okay. podcast. Not, this is, is how fine. I'm gonna lift us out of let's we're gonna lift ourselves out of the self-love is important. It's fine. Well, it is fantastic. Love yourself. <laughs> yes. So it, I think you're absolutely what, what you were saying, Carla, about um, just existing. This, the problem with this is it constructs us as sexual and responsible for someone else's feelings just by existing. Like, that's not appropriate. That's not okay. And it reminds me of that quote by Margaret Atwood, I think, that goes, um, men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will kill them. Right. So this um, this association that that we see between, you know, being being held accountable for someone else's projections onto us like that's and the sexualized violence. Like I think you all had mentioned before the the um, kind of sexualized gaze of dead bodies. And that happens a lot in uh, a show that I know we all watch Supernatural. Right. Uh, in the early seasons, especially. But the other comments that you were making about um Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> the other comments about, uh, Aaron, you were saying how repressed we are sexually. And it made me think about a friend of mine is a romance, um, writer. She writes romance novels. And she said that there's, there's all these different, even though most of those are written by women for women, like traditional romance, there's all these unwritten rules. Like, um, in the, the main characters, once they meet each other, the female care the woman female the female cannot sleep with anybody ah, else you did it kiss, too i did it or kiss anybody <laughs> else or anything but the guy character can totally boink somebody else before i boink i'm so mature <laughs> i feel like i'm talking to my dad right now yeah because i sound super grown up so, man the so wisconsin they can totally boink. do that yeah anyway <laughs> totally you know Anyway, um, and I'm like, yeah, that's bullshit. Uh, but we were talking about the the book Outlander, the first book uh, in the series. Oh, no. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I was like, yes, all right. I, I've only read the first book and I've only seen a couple of seasons of it. But my friend was saying that uh, Diana... Gabaldon. Okay. Gabaldon. <laughs> yeah. Garble, Garble Bunch, Cabbage yep. Patch. Diana Cabbage Patch. Her idea in writing this was, I'm sorry, I can't say that. Come on. All right. Her Diana Cabbage was Patch. To, was to 
was to flip the tropes that were existent at the time in romance by having women characters happen to the guy and having the woman character Claire be more like the guy character right so and it it goes from there but like if you think about I mean I don't want to do too many spoilers but there's a lot of stuff that happens to Jamie that happens to the okay um Meg really needs to show me her armpit or say something no I was gonna let you finish I was just being (laughs) I was just being obnoxious no you're good I love it and I I mean thinking about some of the gays I was thinking about how we see if I'm remembering right we see more of the actor uh nakedy nakedy nakedish nudity so it was really interesting so she never she never intended to write it as a romance novel what was interesting but when she was writing it she didn't want to flip all the things claire is older than jamie which is something that does, does not happen um it's always the man always has to be older jamie is a virgin and claire is not and that was kind of something that wasn't only like okay something it was something that he liked and and yeah and when they did the show outlander they made a point to have the show be from the female gaze so a lot of times when we're looking at like men going down on women in sex scenes and stuff like that and looking at how men are pleasuring women in this where Claire goes down on Jamie and we follow Jamie as he's experiencing that. Um, and we do see more of the male figure and it's and it's much more sexual and it flipped it flipped the script in a lot of ways. And I'm sorry, I did not mean to interrupt you. I just got very excited because Outlander is on my list um, of things that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> so I just... And I could talk. I could talk about yeah. it for a lot longer, as Aaron already knows. <laughs> no, it's all good. I I knew you were gonna probably want to come in there, and I um I was just like, oh, I was thinking about that a lot as we were discussing our weird American like sex hypersexualization and and also puritanical, right? No, but I think um. So I want. I actually want to, since you brought up Outlander, um, and that also brings up other things. Is I want to kind of talk a little bit about when it is switched around, when you see things where maybe it, it's it's men being ob- quote-unquote objectified or things being shot from the female gaze or where you're showing a woman, like when I compared Birds of Prey to Suicide Squad, where you're seeing a woman being fully seen as a fully fleshed out human being. So I want to talk about a little bit of those. Um, I have a specific quote that I'm going to mention once I get around to me. Um, cause I want to talk about a specific show that Carla mentioned in the beginning, because I think it's a, I think it's one that we should be talking about when we're talking about this. Um, but Carla, what are your thoughts on that? So many thoughts. So like, I know I said at the beginning that we're nowhere near where we need to be. And that remains true, but I do, I do, I do find a lot of more modern examples of, of times in which, they get it right and for me that's mostly in in movies like tv shows i I still get caught up in so many like older tv shows that i'm just like "Eh, i don't know about the modern ones but for example you know like there was a lot of talk about with wonder woman with patty jenkins directing it how there was this one specific moment where wonder woman lands and she has her knee bent and you see like a little bit of, of thigh jiggle and how monumental a moment that was for women in film. Because it really is. If the film had been directed by a man, you would not have seen the thigh jiggle. It would have just been like like landed with no fat jiggling because this woman has zero fat on her body. Because that is what we expect of our heroes. This the no 
body fat at all. No, this woman jiggled and it was fine. And yes, her outfit is, you know, like super boobalicious and like the skirt is quite high and all of that. But still, the movie is not shot in such a way where you're focused on her body. It's that's just what her what her outfit looks like. That's just what the Amazon women wore. And that does come from the you know, perspective of of women being drawn in um in comic books and like they're basically like undies and a bustier and a cape and oh yeah, they're amazing like that. Yes. These these men are gonna be basically like um, the kind of pajamas that you would put on a northeastern kid in winter, like with with the footy pajamas and the, the sleeves and everything, and the cape that billows in the breeze, and the women are basically not dressed for cold weather ever. They're just magically not going to get hypothermia. But with Wonder Woman, it was fantastic. But I also see like a lot of great, well, I call them great films, in which we don't have this male gaze thing, you know, like my favorite piece of cinema of 2020 that I think is just uh, a shining example and a beacon of what cinema should be, which is Eurovision Song Contest, The Story <laughs> yes, of Fire I Saga. <laughs> I was like, is she really going to mention Eurovision? <laughs> oh, hell yes, I am. Oh, let Oscar me tell you. Oscar nominated, isn't it? I, thank you, yes, it is Oscar song, nominated. Yes. Yes, it's, just, it's, it's for the song, I get that, but it's a damn good song, so Oscar I'm, I'm going to take my nomination and run with it. Oscar nominated every time, it's, it's an Oscar nominated film, yes, an Oscar nominated film. But the, the reason that I bring it up is because the main character, played by Rachel McAdams, Secret, she's, there's like none of this superfluous, you know, boob shots and like the booty shot, and um, these uh, revealing outfits or anything, none of her outfits are any more or less revealing than Will Ferrell's outfits. In fact, he has more revealing outfits than she does because they're so skin tight, which is not necessarily what you, you know, it's not, I'm not going to go there. But uh, not only is the film, it doesn't exploit her as a sexualized, um, like an over-sexualized person, it also doesn't force this idea that she um, that she has to end up with with a man, um, and in fact, part of what makes the film wonderful is that it makes the case that she can succeed without a man, and that she begins to see that in herself. That she that she comes to realize that you know what, it's not everything in my life. It's not everything that I need. And one of the, the points that I keep coming back to in that film is that it has a perfect setup for the typical cat fight, you know, where like she likes this guy and then this newcomer super hot woman also likes this guy. And there's going to be, you know, they're going to like pull each other's hair. It's going to be screaming and wailing. And, all, and it doesn't happen. If you're coming to this movie for that, well, prepare to be like anticlimax to hell because what ends up happening is that they have this beautiful moment together where they realize that you know they're they're both um they both have goals and dreams and aspirations and it's not about hooking up with a dude in fact the uh the super hot woman ends up giving her kind of like a uh she lends her like a shoulder to cry on so to speak so um 
so like, I'm putting everything on this film, but there are other things. You know, we had we had the I Invisible Man. You, I love that you <laughs> managed. I think I every I think every episode that you're on, I think I love you it to find a way to bring my, this movie. I know in my head, I'm like, okay, she's about to mention a movie of 2020. I'm like, it's not going to be Eurovision. Is it? That is Eurovision. I it is like, 100% awesome. going to be Eurovision. I think we that need a bingo. So awesome. We need a podcast bingo. Uh, Anya when I'm something. On. Yes. Check. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For yes, Carla yes. mentions. <laughs> The Carla uh-huh. Mission Eurovision. Take a shot. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so 2020 also had The Invisible Man and most notably Promising Young Women where it's, yeah, like Aaron's even wearing her shirt representing Promising Young, young Women. Um, so I think that there were quite a few very good films where you do have this realization that, oh, hey, if a woman isn't, uh, if her sexuality isn't exploited, it can still be a good film and people will still be interested in her as something more than just an accessory to the man. And um, that that's one thing that is, it befuddles me that we're in 2021 and people are just coming to this realization. Like, uh, we've been telling you this for decades, that we're here ready to absorb this content and you keep giving us the same drivel over and over again. Why? Um, but I, I, I do hope that there's more of this on the way because I love it. I love watching a film and just enjoying women um, just being, just existing, not necessarily having to be sexy or cute or, you know, having to fight each other for some man's affection where they, they can just be pursuing a goal that's independent of um, getting laid. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that there that there is more of that coming to the fore and I really am looking forward to to more of that but I, I do think that for that to continue happening there have to be more women in every room where those decisions take place um, mm-hmm. and there's not enough of that yet um, so you know I, I say we just go over to Hollywood and knock on some doors and you know kick down some gates and just yeah, and in every aspect of, of film and television, yeah. every aspect, not just even writers, not just even directors, not just even actors. It has to be everything from grips, cinematographers, editors, all of that, every single step of the way, and not just white women. It has to be yeah. everybody. Everybody has to be represented. So that's a big thing. That's the only way you will see real change happen and um, real change uh, manifest and stick and stuff. So yeah, right, because and- because that that's the thing. If it's just white women at the mm-hmm. helm, then you're missing important uh, cultural notes that mm-hmm. have to do with you know when you're talking about um, Latinx women, when you're talking about American Black women, when you're talking about Muslim women. Um, there are just so many things that get kind of left off or not even really touched on or just not understood because of all of these um, failures that's what they are they're failures to understand other cultures and and that's that's a huge missed opportunity not only to have better storytelling but also to have accurate storytelling mm-hmm. yeah exactly and Meg um, first of all, I want to say I really love the dress shopping scene in Wonder Woman when she gets really mad because she has the long skirt on. And she's like, I can't count. I'm going to kick anybody with right. this. 
Which is like, okay, like the fact that she's wearing this like small thing is like, I don't, it's not perfect, but I love that they at least addressed it in some way, shape or form. And it was her decision to wear what she's wearing, not because she thinks it's hot or sexy, um, but because she can't kick ass as much when she's being stuck in like 1918, 1917 um, women's clothes. Uh, I thought something that was kind of important as far as a kid movie goes, I think it's really cool. Um, Jumanji, the first one, Welcome to the Jungle, does a really good job of subverting a lot of video game tropes um, around female characters. And especially, I think, especially so Jack Black is like, they're supposed to be teenagers in video game bodies. Jack Black is like the typical like popular girl in high school <laughs> and she gets put into Jack Black's body and Bethany is the one to call out like why is Martha the only one, the only female and she's the only one in like the short shirts and the crop top and all the men are fully clothed and what's going on with that? And the scene where where Martha dance fights um and her friends watch on and that's not it's it's sexy watching it because it's it, i think it's I, I just think it's a sexy scene because karen gillen is very attractive and watching her kick people's asses um is fantastic but it's not sexual it's not no one is being titillated while they're watching it martha first off has no idea how to be sexy like she tries she tries to learn and it doesn't go <laughs> it doesn't go very well and none of the male npcs and CP and PC, either way, they're not viewing her in a sexual manner either. Her friends aren't viewing her in a sexual manner or anything like that. And she's just kicking their ass. And I think that's great. Um, Thelma and Louise is a classic example of, of a movie that doesn't have the female gaze. We talked about Outlander. Um, I'm trying to think of more. I, I want to pretend the mummy does just because I really, I don't know why I've been really into wanting to watch the mummy movies again. <laughs> watched him in so long um but i love that rachel vice character is not solely there to be a romantic interest for brendan fraser she's very smart and talented and gifted and and drives a lot of the story herself which i like and and brendan fraser's kind of the bonehead which you know that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast um one thing that is so i hated these books and i hated these these movie what i saw of the one movie of it and it's not an example of a good it's an example of a missed opportunity and that's 50 shades of gray that movie could see in better hands that could have been a very empowering book and movie and they failed so completely and they went so far beyond failing that they were like okay some dude stalking you and taking all control of you and your life that's sexy and that's what you want and it was so gross and awful and that's all i'm going to say about that i'm not going to be like this is a great it in the right hands that story could have been there's a movie called Secretary. Go check yes. out the movie Secretary. Yes. That's on HBO Max right now. That is yes. a really Secretary. good depiction of a healthy BDSM relationship. That's the depiction of a woman who has no power when she starts out in there and she gets power through this relationship. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's yeah. 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 And great, I and I know there's acting. lots of feelings mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. about Fifty Shades of Grey and I'm not going to be like this is it's it's awful. It's horrible, it's harmful, mm-hmm. it's disgusting. It's 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 bad in all ways. Well, you're talking about Secretary, and I love that movie. I haven't seen it in forever. Um, and comparing the two, it had the potential if it was handled correctly. It was handled mm-hmm. by someone who has any idea what the BDSM community is about mm-hmm. and what it's like. And it, and that was one of the most frustrating things about that is because 
when you look into BDSM, the submissive person in those relationships is actually the one with the power. Yep. And they sub they mm, And I already talked about Outlander, and I'm gonna I've I've talked a lot, so I'm gonna just take and of course Eurovision. Of course, Eurovision. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that movie. If you want to discuss it more, Oscar I'm happy to. Eurovision. So I'm just gonna have to do a bonus episode of just talking about Eurovision. Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch it. I haven't seen it. Wow. It's so good. I have to do it and then don't let Carla be on. <laughs> I want to just say briefly to everybody in uh, two weeks, we're doing an episode about BDSM and media. So we will delve deeply into the problems with 50 shades of gray, 50 shades of gray, excuse me, is like the most disgusting depiction of a BDSM relationship because it's not a BDSM relationship. It's not a BDSM. It's a stalking, controlling relationship of a man who is using and abusing a woman and who basically, um, coerces her and you could even call it rape really into losing her virginity to him and it's not at all yeah yeah he violates their contract yeah it's not at all a bdsm relationship and that's kind of where i'm saying where it had the potential like if it it was done correctly Mm -hmm. i don't think there are enough good depictions of bdsm relationships there aren't in media because people see something like 50 shades of gray and they're like oh yeah and they think it's just spank me daddy and stuff like that which is gross Mm -hmm. um as a depiction but and that's kind of thing where like that had the potential to have a very empowering female character and a very empowering sexual female character um and they just every part of everything in those that those books and that movie I didn't watch, I think I made it like 25 minutes into the movie before I had to, I was just, I noped out because it was just, it was so bad. Um, But I had to see it. (laughs) I I don't like this book, but I have to see it because I, because I would rag on it and people like, well, you haven't even seen it. And I was like, I don't need to see it to know it sucks. But Mm -hmm. either way, now I'm going to shut up. But it could have been, it could have been, it could have been a contender. (laughs) No, it really could have been. Yeah. and tanya yeah i so wow i just wrote a bunch of words down and we'll see if i can remember what all my points were um so i was looking again in the one hour of research i did um for this uh and they were actually making a point that the female gaze in terms of uh like objectifying men like equal opportunity objection objectification is still the male gaze just women are now looking at men like that, which I think is interesting and in that a that a sort of more true female gaze, and I'm doing air quotes, um, would be like showing men be, being uh, emotionally vulnerable, right? And, and sh- like kind of um, breaking down toxic masculinity and things like that. So I don't know where we want to go with that. I just thought that was an interesting argument. Um, but if if people want like a really great, easy to understand idea about the male gaze, you can look at the Hawkeye initiative, which is a Tumblr where someone took the character Hawkeye and drew him in all the female comic book character poses. And it is amazing. Are you looking at it right now, Meg? Okay. And it's because you're like, you look at it and you're like, oh, that now by flipping that script, I can see how absurd this is that we would expect a woman to fight with high heels. High heels drive me bananas in fighting stuff. Long hair, you know, boob armor. Okay, like boob armor, what about your head? You know, 
and the veins in your legs. Like you can die if your femoral artery gets stuck. This is basic stuff, people. Anyway, so an example of of them giving a woman, a woman hero, like a, a still sexy costume, but it's not falling into that that uh, trap is WandaVision, the Scarlet Witch uh, outfit she has at the end of that. It's still attractive. It's still, I, I think, pretty hot, but she's not like boobs up to her, you know, chin. Um, you know, she's not, it's not sexualized from a male gaze perspective. Okay. Um, what else did I write um, down? That Tumblr is amazing. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Right. Like check it out. Right. And it's fan art kind of showing how, how ridiculous it is. And they put Hawkeye and he's got like a thong on and I'm like, all right, you know, <laughs> but you, you immediately, those flip scripts are amazing. Cause you immediately see how absurd this is. Um, and, and can get that just at a glance. I wrote down Fleabag. So I'm going to talk more about TV shows than uh, movies because I don't know why. Like, I hardly watch movies. I watch a lot more TV these days. Um, but Fleabag, I think, is interesting because there's a lot of sex. Um, but I don't. And that that's a very complicated, like, psychological character study. Um, but I don't feel like I think she objectifies herself because she thinks she's working through trauma. But it's it's an interesting example of a woman kind of directing and oh god, we've got Hawkeye, sexy Hawkeye uh, and sexy um, Thor with with a with a like an eighty swimsuit and a very interesting looking bulge popping up in our chat and I can't keep my train of thought with that. Sorry, I had to let the, da- no, the tasteful side sack, tasteful, tasteful spandex bulge, right? Um, okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so I think Fleabag's interesting. Winona Earp, there's, that's a little bit more equal opportunities slash, uh, I, you know, if you think about the way that character, the comic book character is drawn, there's a scene where she's literally in like a mummy's, like an ace bandage suspended from the ceiling in the comics. Like with the boobs, you know, and I'm like, all right, no. And then versus the the TV show where she still wears really kind of racy clothes, but it's it's not like that. It's much more empowered. It's much more. I'm choosing to kind of rock this this uh, badass look at the same time, leather jacket, you know, sheer shirt with a bra under it. But it's not a freaking ace bandage around the the you know the no no bits. I guess I don't know. Well, that reminds me of it. Carla's other favorite movie, The Fifth Element. Yes. Oh, oh God. God. Yeah. <laughs> that outfit, yeah, that's, like, come on. Yeah. That's, I How much that. glue must they have used on that outfit for it to stay there? I love because that I'm movie. Sorry. But it, that's not, that was not yeah. a, a good thing. <laughs> right. No, I, I, I just, I really appreciate, <laughs> or I would appreciate more characters, like more women characters with practical mm-hmm. gear. You know, because if I have to give a roundhouse, particularly a round, a, a high roundhouse, I don't want to be in a little skirt mm-hmm. with my underwear possibly digging in two bits and making like you know a very visible camel toe kind of situation happen. Like I don't need that. Nobody needs that. That's not going to help me fight crime. Mm-hmm. In what way does that help me make the world better? It simply doesn't. Oh, Tony, it's you're just exposing me to infection me and bacteria. So infection, much. yeah. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to regret it. No regrets. Hashtag no regrets. 
Um, I had okay. We were recently watching the Batman movies with um, the kids because they're old enough. So we were watching the Dark Knight trilogy, like the the Nolan ones, right? And if you also want another example of male gaze, right? Even though I think the third film I liked uh, Anne Hathaway's Catwoman, I, I enjoyed that. But literally, there's a scene where they're fighting Bane, the bad guy, yeah. and she gets on the Bat cycle to ride the bat cycle and it's just right on her ass. Her ass is covered. Her ass is spectacular. Um, but it's like, we did not get, you know, bat Wayne, Bruce man. We didn't get Bruce man's ass, bat Wayne, Bruce man. I mean, Bruce Wayne. I mean, Batman. I mean, not the same person, totally coincidental. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And was I waiting all two hours to make the Batman jokes? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> was it worth it probably not but i enjoyed it i was gonna say yes but (laughs) sounding yes over here yeah we mourn the loss of batman and also coincidentally no relation but billionaire bruce wayne also died mysteriously (laughs) (laughs) also is batman's superpower not just white privilege i mean i don't mean to be a jerk but i'm like no he's not a superhero at all he's just a rich rich vigilante who gets Mm -hmm. away with just slamming um people Mm -hmm. who haven't been processed through the court system yeah around like that that's a superpower and getting away with it of course for sure and i have one more batman thing and i then we could talk a lot more because i have more batman issues but it's me and my batman (laughs) issues (laughs) and meg is spamming us with wow i told you we're gonna have to post this stuff on the twitter page you're gonna regret it so much because i'm like i've fallen deep into this hole and i am losing my mind we're gonna have to post this on twitter for um, everybody listening so they can look yeah. at these before the episode comes out awesome. <laughs> like i i use those in teaching i really do and um it's awkward looking at a whole bunch of those in a classroom full of people but it you know gets the point across but okay the batman thing so we get anne hathaway's impressive backside but then in one of the more recent movies where ben affleck or batfleck is batfleck right we get some batfleck assfleck and batfleck assfleck <laughs> are <laughs> sort of female male female gazy there's no point we just get full baflack ass baflax i can't do it you, you can see I, his penis very briefly in um gone girl by the way here's what we need we just need um, more nudity everywhere <laughs> no more clothes everything or anything just I'm all just, film from now on should be clothing optional. Just, and that they save so much money in the costuming. That, my yeah. friends, is equality. I mean, there's like literally a scene where he's, I think he's working out or something, and it's just his ass. And I'm like, okay, that's a nice backside, but I don't need that. You know, I'm, I mean, I, I'm not saying I don't, but I, that for me, I was like, no, cover that up. I don't. I'd rather have the George Clooney nipple suit. From Batman 3. George Clo- See, somebody else brought up George Clooney, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Unnecessary. Batman. Wait a second, because do we have time for the 30-minute Aaron segueing to George Clooney? Well, speaking of George Clooney, there is, there is a great sex scene with George Clooney in Out of Sight. I, I oh my god, in the bathtub? I was thinking of Out of Sight. No, not yet. the bathtub, just the actual sex scene where it's interspersed with them having the conversation. And then you see them going back up and it's it, it's it's um, cut between the two scenes. And it's the sexiest 
love scene in any any movie ever. So just want to throw that in there since we're talking about George Clooney. I don't remember I that movie it's... being hot. I just don't oh, remember. Oh, God, that movie is so... been it's your always George so... Clooney moment <laughs> with Aaron of It's a Fandom Thing podcast. Thank you yes. so much for tuning in. What I feel like is the most blatant thing of like the male gaze or whatever is when they're doing a sex scene and the men and women are addressing themselves usually in, in what I'm talking about. And like, like the notebook is a great example. Say what you want about them. This is a great example though. So Rachel McAdams is like very nervous and very sexily taking off her clothes in, a, in the shy, nervous, sexy kind of way that women are allowed to do that. And Ryan Gosling just like whip his shirt off, <laughs> throws pants, and he looks like a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> getting like getting his pajamas on and there's the difference like why would any women who are your target audience want to actually see like a, a sexy man undressing sexily and he's just like no it is it's like it's like watching when my kids were little like just rip all their clothes off and as they run into <laughs> to the bathtub <laughs> and that's that's what I got. That's what I got for you. Rachel McAdams gets to be all hot and nervous and virginal and still sexual. And I just want to remind you that Rachel McAdams was in Eurovision. <laughs> so we've had our George Clooney oh moment. Oh my God. Has she been? We've had our Batman moment. Clooney, and we have had our Eurovision moment. We need and Eurovision Batman starring Rachel McAdams. And George yes, please. We haven't had Shutter. <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked well, about Aaron Shutter. Here's the male gaze in horror. I can't believe we haven't talked about this. That's because Aaron. I'm the biggest horror fan on here. No, it was something I almost brought it up a couple of times, but I was like, okay, That's I'm the bigger horror yeah. fan. And we're going to be talking about women. I've mm-hmm. added to the schedule. We're going to talk about women in horror and then queer horror. So I've I've expanded. I've made the length of horror better. Come on, somebody. Don't make me have to say it. <laughs> that's what she's what she Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of The Expanse, because that's mine, you all should watch it. So Tanya is The Expanse, and that's what she said, jokes. And the rest of it. Are you on that episode, by the oh, way? Oh, I better not. I better be. Jesus. I that's better like not be. Not <laughs> that's like, no, I better be. I better not be not on it. So what I want to bring up is <laughs> also a show. Um, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about Promising Young Woman because I can't not talk about it when we're talking about this. Um, Queer as Folk, seriously, honestly, is exactly this. Turning um, that gaze to be the male gaze. I mean, the way you see men in this, I mean, Carla can speak to it now. The way you see yes, men in this show, it's they're completely sexualized. I mean, completely from head to toe. The way the camera gazes up their body is very much what you would see with a woman. Um, it's very explicit sex scenes. Um, you know, they they had to very much when they were making this, they had to end up telling extras, you know, you're going to be on Queer's Folk. You're probably going to be nude. You're going to have sex scenes. You're going to have the sock on your dick. Um, which is what they, I mean, it's, it's completely, it's all, it's very, very sexualized, sexualizing men and a lot of straight women, which they weren't anticipating this, but one of their highest audiences was straight women because straight women loved being able to see a show, at least in my opinion, where you saw men in this sexual intimate position where you saw them, um, where you saw them, you know, slowly undressing or you saw them pouring. Like there's a scene in the very first episode where Brian sex on legs, Kenny, he dumps, I call him sex on legs. He dumps a thing of water on his body. Like you would see a woman. do, 
and he kind of shakes his head. And you see the water dripping down his body. And it's very sexual. And it's you're supposed to be gazing at his body like that. But if you read male male fanfic and you read all of those scenes where like there's no lube at all and they just go at it and it's so unrealistic. Queerest folk undermines that in the first episode where Brian basically gives you a how-to. Where he's like, first you have to prep and then you have to have all the lube. And he brings up this lube bottle. He's like squirting out all this lube in the That's like in Brooklyn the like spit a loogie into their hand. No, this is this is very thorough. And then he like rips the condom with his teeth. And because he's butt stuff works. Well, no, they're in queerest folk, they're like, oh, yeah. I was, no, I right. was talking about Brokeback Mountain. What I'm saying, but, though, is that it's very important because if you read just if, if everything that you know about about uh, male male sex comes from fanfic, then this will completely disabuse you of any notion that you can get by on spit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the yeah. worst part about Brokeback Mountain is that poor guy's got to get on a horse the next day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that guy's got to get on a horse. He's got to ride it off into the woods. Yeah, you know, that's going to be uncomfy there after that. And we're we're going to be talking about Brokeback Mountain this Pride Month, by the yeah. way. Everybody. You guys all got to have your thing, you know. Well, you guys all did your Batman, your George Clooney, and your Eurovision. And my thing is just fucking around in the chat. Okay. Win, well, win, I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to read a quote from Gail Harold, who plays um, Brian Kinney. And he said, I think it's good that men are being objectified because since forever women have been objectified. We're flipping the coin because things have been lopsided on TV and film for so long. Another good point to show is that it portrays men's sensuality. They're not just all about sex and only sex. So I just love that quote. Um, And it's one of the many reasons I love Queer as Folk. And it's not just because I think the sex scenes are hot because, well, they are hot. (laughs) They're very hot. Yeah, they're very hot. But it's also that fact of seeing something that you don't normally see as a woman. You know, you're not seeing like, I mean, there is a lesbian couple, uh, but you're not seeing that as much in there. It's much more about the men. And that's so rare. So I wanted to just definitely bring that up because I think that is one of the biggest examples of that. And I think that's why that show is so popular among straight women. Um, And then another thing I want to bring up is of course Promising Young Woman and I want to bring up Promising Young Woman again I know Carla mentioned it because the opening scene of Promising Young Woman is basically you are seeing men on a dance floor in khakis their work things and it's so unsexy but it's so accurate to how men think they don't have to be really sexy they don't have to do anything they just have to show up They don't need to do anything to get a woman. They don't have to do that. They don't have to work like a woman does. And the camera is on their crotch the whole time, you know, a lot. And it's showing them dancing horribly. And it's so unsexy. And normally in a movie, what you would see is the women, you know, in a scantily clad and dancing up on each other and really sexy. And so that's what I love from the very get-go with Promising Young Woman. And also the other thing I love about Promising Young Woman and yes, I know I did a whole episode on it, whatever, is um, <laughs> is you never, ever, 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 ever see any sexual violence in this movie that's all about sexual violence. And you never actually see any rape. You never actually see any sexual violence against her, against any woman. I mean, 
anything like that. That's what is so beautiful about that film is even though I understand a lot of women have issues with it and have issues with the ending, I'm not going to say anything because of spoilers. And I understand that. But the fact that there isn't a lot of violence in this movie and it's all about sexual violence, but you don't have to have the sexual violence in there to have that conversation. I think that's why it's such a special film. And I think the reason that happened is because it's written and directed by a woman. And I think that's totally why you get that because it's not a movie about that. It's not a movie about the sex. And one thing I want to mention about promising a woman is there was a review that came out and it got retracted. Um, a male reviewer who said Carrie Mulligan was not attractive enough to play this character, which is absolutely insane. And Carrie Mulligan, you know, spoke out against going to say, I mean, she's absolutely gorgeous. I know they're like, no, you would need because Margot Robbie is a producer of the movie. So they're like, you would need Margot Robbie to play this character. Carrie Mulligan is not sexy enough to play this character. And that's not what sexual violence is about. Sexual violence is not about how sexy a woman is anyway. It's about power and control. And that's another way to demean a woman when you're talking about a movie that is all about a woman taking control and a woman losing control and sexual violence and then to turn around in a review and say she's not sexy enough to play this character is so absolutely ludicrous. It's just so ridiculous because she's so gorgeous. Exactly. Missing the point. And she's so gorgeous anyway. And when they were selling these promising and woman shirts that I'm wearing right now, um, they said on here, you know, hopefully you'll be sexy enough to wear this (laughs) as a play (laughs) on what that reviewer said. Because it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And that just plays into this whole thing, too. I just wanted to be able, I just wanted to mention that as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that it's one of the things we haven't, we've touched on a little bit about how um, the male gaze and rape culture kind of are intertwined in a lot of ways. Um, When we look at something like that, or you look at Game of Thrones, like in Game of Thrones, when, oh God, what's her name? Starts on S. Sansa. I Sansa, wrote down yeah. Game of Thrones on my thing, and I'll say something after <laughs> yeah, you're done. Well, yeah. And I thought so. So the scene in Outlander where Jamie—I guess spoilers—but it's been it's six seasons in now. I'm sorry, but the scene in Outlander where Jamie gets brutally tortured and raped came out around the same time as that episode of um, Game of Thrones where Sansa's being raped and they were talking, like I saw critics talking about like, how amazing it was that they showed, they just showed Theon the whole time that Sansa, like, so we're, we're going to have a woman being raped, but we're going to pay attention to the effect it's having on the other man in the room. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and Outlander has been called out a bit for a lot of, of of rape scenes that happen and things like that. But one thing that Outlander did that was very interesting to me um, was it did depict male rape, which is something that we just we don't see very often and not that I want to see it or anything like that. But it's something that happens to men and it's something that should be talked about and isn't talked about enough. But in so many things like with Game of Thrones, Sansa gets raped and like that's where she finds her power is through that violation and that and and in so many different examples of women getting raped and then they just kind of move on they just move on with it after that and it doesn't happen or it somehow helps them it somehow becomes like a positive thing for them and that's so disgusting and gross um one thing that outlander has done with times they depict rape is show the emotional trauma 
and aftermath that comes and the healing that comes with it. Um, for I've read all of the books of Outlander. Jamie, that what happened with Jamie when he was raped and tortured, um, 30 years later plus in the book, and it's still something that affects him. And it's still something that he has to deal with. And I think it's, I think it was very fantastic and an unusual thing. And it's, and he is not the only character who, who is raped in the show, but they show that trauma and they show how it's not something that you're going to sit here and like rise above and, and that's going to make you stronger and everything like that. And it could, and it very well, and that's not to say it won't or anything like that, but Outlander doesn't try and spin though that trauma into something quote unquote positive. Like, and that was one of the things that was so gross about I, about Game of Thrones that I saw is like Sansa suddenly got like that's where she found her her power was through that horrible violation, and I think that's something that we see a lot in media. Either women like that's where they get there they they come through it and and are strong and it helps them motivate them, or they just pretend it never happened. So. Yeah, the I mean, just to I had written down Game of Thrones because I read the books. Um, you know, I'm that level of nerd, but I read the books back when they came out, and then was very excited about the show and had to stop watching it uh, for a while, and then finally went back and and did watch it. But um, the issue that I want that I had a really hard time with was the um, the violence being sexualized or the the uh, yeah. the sexuality being made violent. So th- there are very uncomfortable parts of the book. Like that's people who know the show and know the books will will know what I'm talking about. But there are choices they made in the show to deliberately make scenes violent that were not sexually violent. So the initial scene between Danny and Khal Drogo is it's pretty much marital rape, like in the show and in the books, it is not written that way it's not it's not okay it's uncomfortable she's extremely young um and it's you know it's a problem but it's not a violent interaction and we we don't even need to go into the problems with with race and racial portrayal in that show Mm -hmm. but that's a whole other (laughs) that's a whole other episode for sure yeah and i just want to um chime in with the novelas because i know growing up watching them it's just, first of all, like the women have to be sexy. If you watch any telenovela, it's like scantily clad and showing a lot of cleavage or like the the really tight um, skirts or pants or whatever. And there are so much, so there are so many instances of uh, of sexual assault and uh, marital or just relationship sexual assault. And it's just like considered like a normal thing. And I mean, I granted, I haven't been watching novelas lately because I got so turned off by this recurring thing. But there wasn't the sense of empowerment of like, oh, you know, women are able to um, to guide their own destiny. Everything has to be about seducing somebody, about the way in which you use your body and your sexuality to overcome your circumstances and it's it's tied into the whole classism and colorism that pervades the novelas in general but you know and and then coming here and seeing a lot of the same and a lot of it because in a lot of other countries 
at least back when I first got here, you know, American cinema and American TV was considered the cream of the crop. And it's like the, the example that you that you want to go towards. And it's all it's all of this. It's all of this male gaze and all of this um, commodification of the of the woman's body and this um, assumption that the reason that women exist is to titillate men and when we're not titillating them we're supposed to be mothering them and that's it those are your your roles in life um and that goes you know through this through today we have still so many examples of this like i i that's one of the things that i love about the show superstore is that you know there's not a lot of sexualization of anybody really it's um a lot of people in in their uh superstore uniforms complaining about work and the situations that arise that are romantic don't rely on um on a man feeling like he owns the woman or like he's entitled to anything and i think i think particularly in the mid 90s to uh like the mid 2010s there was a lot of that a lot of you know the the schlubby guy who has a super hot wife and the super hot wife she may roll her eyes at him but she is um she puts up with him anyway and it's all part of the same thing that that male gaze where uh yes you can be you can look like Kevin James and you can get a Leah Remini and there's no problem there's nothing and i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with you know th- there's no such thing as like a matching couple it's just people who love each other but the absolute theme of those times was you don't have to try very hard if you're a guy you're a white guy and you're straight you're set your Leah Remini will show up in your house in a week and she will do everything you want whenever you want because you've earned it by being white and straight and male that plays into that concept of uh aggrieved entitlement right that where we get really toxically masculine um where men think that they this reminds me of the whole incel garbage um and the the idea that you know if i'm a straight white man and and my dad and his dad got all these privileges um and i don't get them i'm gonna be pissed off and i'm gonna react with violence um to that situation so Mm -hmm. anyway and at the same time, not take any responsibility for it and put all of the onus on the women who aren't going to fuck you. Like, yeah. maybe women aren't, may, women probably aren't not fucking you because of the way you look, but because you are a giant asshole mm-hmm. who thinks that interacting with women automatically entitles you to have a part of them. Like, there was a comedian who's talking about, like, the the friend zone and how harmful and gross that is and like how many nice coins do I have to put into the vending machine of a woman for to have the sex <laughs> and and I think that's it's just and like I said before the male gaze in media is harmful to everybody it enforces toxic masculinity and and it's not the only it's not like this is the only thing in the world, but it's a big thing because especially in a country in America here where we consume so much media that it can't help but shape how you think and how you view yourself and other people. Yeah, I was, this is 
a little aside, but I but I want to share this because it plays into that whole idea of privilege, right? So my mom was telling me, bear with me, I promise it's going to become relevant, that she found a box of my old elementary school papers. And I used to write a lot of stories, like I wanted to be a writer. And every story the teacher had written comments like, great ideas, great characters, watch the spelling. Great ideas, great characters, watch the spelling. Awesome, but the spelling, right? And she told me this the other day, and I thought, haha, my elementary school teachers, Joke's on you. We had a barely literate dude as president really recently. And that's a joke on all of us. We have spell check now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And if only we could have muted somebody sooner. (laughs) No, it just, I think your comments were, were kind of that whole idea that, that people in privilege can only fail up. Like, you know, the, the media saturation is how you get Trump as president. Right. That mm-hmm. influence, this this patriarchy, the cultural dominance, we could get into like Gramscian notions of cultural Marxism, which I won't do because we're getting to the end. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think this is part of that for sure. Well, and, and the, the other thing I want, I want to go back to what Carla was saying about um, telenovelas and what I want to talk about is American soaps. You have a lot of time. You have a trope where the rapist becomes this redeemed and great character. And sometimes you even have the woman who was raped marry her rapist, like Luke and Laura on uh, General Hospital. And that was like one of the highest rating rated weddings back in the day, I guess. So many people tuned in for that wedding. And she was marrying the man who raped her. Um, you have on Days of Our Lives, you have Jack Devereaux who raped Kayla. And then he ended up marrying Jen. And they're like one of the most beloved couples. And he's a rapist. Um, you have on One Life to Live, you have this character, Todd, who helped participate in, I, I think it was even a gang rape. And he was this thought of as this evil character, and they kind of started, I guess, trying to redeem him. And that's a trope that happens all the time on soaps, where it's like, you have this rapist, but it's the rapist with a heart of gold, and they're actually a good person. And especially, it's really even worse, I think, when you have the person, the woman who was raped by this man, end up falling in love with him. And and it's basically saying, it's okay, your love can redeem this man, and you'll just have to get past that rape part. And, I mean, that's just not okay. That's just not okay at all. And well, it happens in, all the time in, in American soaps. And it's just this really harmful, harmful. Because you're talking about that kind of trope of a woman falling in love with their rapist. And and I've actually talked about this a bit in other podcasts that I've guessed it on. Um, that was such a popular trope in romance novels for a really, really long time that men would like. And there was one that I read years ago that I I didn't. I knew it was problematic, but I still like liked it. Um, and that's what happens. He like kidnaps a woman, and he's a, he's a pirate because this is the kind of romance novel I was reading um, <laughs> twenty five years ago. Um, not that long, but so he kidnaps this woman, and he basically is just like, "I'm gonna keep having sex with you until you're pregnant, and you have to marry me." And th- he spends like the whole book basically just quote unquote seducing her. Um, and, and just raping her. And then, of course, she falls in love with him and they live happily ever after. I'm like, how do you, how do you get there? <laughs> like, how do you get there from there and, like, not deal with any of, any of the grossness of that? You know, it, I hear things like this and, it, and I, I mean, 
yeah, you think about this culturally, like where we were, and I'm I'm thinking about how the show um, Mad Men, I don't know if anybody has watched yeah. that. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't watch it. Like, I watched the first couple seasons, and the problem I had with it is I thought they were doing a good job of pointing out the sexism, right? Like, but that was so uncomfortable for me. And then parts of these these cultural elements of um, rape culture and things like that. But at the same time, it was like they were glorifying it. Like they weren't doing enough to critique it. And they, I don't know where the show goes. So maybe they, they go more into the critique side. Um, but I was thinking about what you were saying, Meg, and, and these tropes and thinking, God, no wonder so many women were on drugs, housewives, like losing their minds, you know, um, just <sighs> women's bodies just only existing, right, for men or only being, you know, valid for that purpose. Like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah, and I was glad I, I finally found it because when you were talking about that, I don't know if any – did anybody ever watch – there was this reality TV series called The Pickup Artist. It was on VH1. And it was all about this – yeah, you've seen it. I and, have, yeah. And you have too, Carla. Yeah, and it's all about this guy who is teaching these men how to be pickup artists, how to pick up women, and how these men are basically like – you know, they can't ever get a woman. And so he's teaching them how to basically get a woman. And it's, it's so, it's so much about that where the woman is just the object because it's all about the man and him not getting his needs met and not being able to have a woman in his life and not knowing how to pick up a woman. And the whole show is about learning how to be a pickup artist and learning how to use certain things that you think a a woman will want and like and that's how you're going to get a woman. And it's never about respecting a woman. It's never about um, this is how you'll get a woman by showing her respect and treating her as an equal. It's more let's lie. Let's manipulate ourselves. And it just I just keep thinking about that when everybody's talking about that because I watched this whole show too. And I was very amused by it. I mean, I've like I've said before, I watched Rock of Love all the time. I loved Rock of Love. I love Rock of Love. <laughs> talk about but you know what? Now that you're mentioning um, these dating shows, and and I want to point this out simply because you know we were talking in part about the uh, the idea of friend zoning, which is simply not a thing. It's like sometimes people just want to be your friends, and you have to deal with it and be mature enough to realize that you're just not for them. Be Move really on. excited that you're an adult and are, are making a friend because it's right. really hard to make really friends when you're. But but the thing is, you know, like I I, I had this one guy friend who, um, he was constantly giving me unsolicited advice about dating, and his advice was always, you know, like you have to be more aloof, you can't be as um as earnest as you are, you can't. Basically, he was telling me that I can't be me. Mm-hmm. And for a while there, I was like, okay, well, you know, I know that I've scoffed at what you've said, but I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not having any success on my own. Please tell me your wisdom. And his wisdom was brushing up against everything that I am. And I happened to, you know, and, and I, I happened to go to Mexico and I was talking to my uncle, who, by the way, is only like four years older than me because, you know, Mexican family trees, that's just how they are. And we're talking and, and he's like, but you're a fantastic person. You're a freaking catch. Why do you need to do any of this stuff? If a guy doesn't like you, he doesn't like you. And that's it. And I was like, oh, and this was like mind blowing to me. <laughs> the fact that somebody would, would say to me, like, just be you. And if these guys 
can't handle it, then find a guy who can. So I come back to to here and I tell this guy friend, I was like, okay, thank you so much for trying to help me all of this time. I don't want to have your advice anymore. And he was like shocked. And um, we got into this mini argument about it. And his whole thing was that I'm never going to get a guy by being who I am. Because who I am, it's, it's just what you, what you see is what you get. Um, I'm too earnest. I'm too upfront. If I, t- if I like somebody, I tell them that I like them. But media has told us that you have to be aloof. You have to wait until um, they call you. You have to wait mm-hmm. three days before you can call them. You have to play coy. You have to do all of these, all of these things. Um, so he was horrified when I decided to just be me. And we got into this huge fight about it. Uh, and it was like a very weird and defining moment in my friendship with this dude. I didn't talk to him for months afterwards. We started speaking again and then we stopped speaking again for basically the same reason. And uh, and this is, I think, um, in large part because the expected roles in dating, the expected roles that are thrust upon us by what we see and what we read. You know, we watch all of these movies and we... And he has this perception of how women should be in order to con- to be considered dateable. And it's like in, in those in that show with that guy where he's teaching you how to neg a woman, how to, you know, play these tricks to manipulate her basically into thinking that um, that she sees you as worth dating. And it's basically the same thing that this guy was trying to to teach me. So it, it's just in every bit of our culture it just it seeps into everything and and a lot of the times we don't really see it because maybe we're not looking beyond our little bubble like we, we don't know to look outside of that and i think that as we become more savvy consumers of entertainment we do see outside of a little bubble but i don't think everybody has that same privilege of of finding these resources and um, finding this information. So, or having an uncle who will tell you like, no man, you're a catch because there are other uncles who will tell you, well, he's right. You know, like play hard to get. And that's the key. Well, and that's the, that's what media is. I mean, I instantly thought of that stupid movie, how to, um, he's just not that into you or whatever that movie is. Um, And where you have the character, Justin Long's character, um, talking to, oh God, what is her name? I can't remember her name anyway. Um, the character who's always the girl who's always, the guys are never calling her back because she's too, quote unquote, needy. And she's too, like, upfront about what she wants and all this stuff. And he ends up falling for her spoilers. Um, but the interesting part about that <laughs> character... Know, like- I, I'm, that's why I'm kidding kind of on that anyway <laughs> anyway um so he ends up falling for her and um there is a whole scene what's interesting about that scene is basically or, or about their relationship is she basically calls him out even though it's not a good movie but calls him out on his bullshit about the fact that he is saying 
that you have to play into a man's game in order to get a man. And a man is never going to be coy. They're going to be upfront with you if they want you. And they're never going to play hard to get. They're going to be upfront with you. But you have to play hard to get. And you have to be coy. And if you're not hard to get or coy, the man's not going to want you. So you have to play all these games. But a man's never going to play any games, which is not true. Um, And so she basically calls him out on that. And then the second she calls him out on that, what's interesting in that movie, even though I'm not saying it's a good movie, but what's interesting in that movie is that it's kind of like all of a sudden he wants her. Like that's what ends up making him want her is the fact that she was like, that's bullshit. I think my way is okay. I'm going to be who I am. And if you don't like it, well, whatever, you know, F you. And that's what's so interesting about that relationship in that film is that even though I think that film says some harmful stuff and plays into those tropes and those romantic comedy, bad things, even though I like romantic comedies, there's still those bad tropes. It's nice to see where this woman does call him out. And then that ends up where he's like, Oh yeah, wait, I am kind of an asshole. And I miss this opportunity to be with this great woman. And she basically has just said, you're a fucking asshole. You're with the way you're thinking is asshole thinking. You're not going to get a woman to be with you your whole life. If you're going around thinking a woman has to play games and you don't have to play games, you don't have to do any work. The woman has to do all the work and you're not going to do any work. And that's basically what it, what it kind of boils down to, I think, you know, and we're definitely going to explore this more this year um, upcoming episodes. We're going to be doing a whole episode um, on Thelma and Louise. So uh, we're definitely going to be diving into that. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about American Psycho because I think American Psycho is a very good film to examine um, because even though it's all told from Patrick Bateman's standpoint, the movie, I'm talking about the movie, not the book, because the book, it's Brett Easton Ellis and he's got major issues. But the movie, in case you don't know, is written and directed. It's written by a woman and directed by a woman. Two separate women, but it's written and directed by a woman, by women, excuse me. And the whole movie is examining, in my opinion, misogyny and men wanting to have that control. And also the 80s and greed and, um, you know, the white male privilege is examined big time. So we're going to be examining that. We're going to be talking about, as I said, BDSM and media, which I think also plays into this. Because the harmful tropes of BDSM are a lot in this, like Fifty Shades of Grey we mentioned, and there's a bunch of others. that We are going to be talking a lot about this, um, since this is a podcast focused primarily from the female perspective. I mean, we've had, past couple of weeks, men on episodes, and they're great men, but this is primarily focused from female perspective. So we're going to be examining a lot of that. So just throwing that out there. Okay. Um, so I think that's, sorry, go ahead. And we're going to be synchronizing our cycles so that we can really make sure that we're in sync. And <laughs> yes, there's no other way to do it, frankly. Bring the real rage. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So we're going to go ahead and close out then and have everybody say where they can be found and what they want to promote, Carla. I can be found primarily through uh, the podcast that Meg and I share, which is called Bedwater Behead Pod. Uh, you can find us on all purveyors of fine podcasts and also on Twitter primarily <laughs> at Bedwet uh, Pod on, link- on LinkedIn. Jeez, no, God, no. <laughs> Yes, on LinkedIn or Bedwet Behead Inc. 
if you want to come and be our employee, you will basically just be buying us bottles of wine. But if you want to find us on Instagram, where we actually are, that is bed.wedthebehead.com. And Meg, where can they find you? Well, aside from finding me at Bed, Wed, Behead um, and LinkedIn, you can find me <laughs> mainly on Twitter. Um, my personal Twitter is at Wisconsinac, which is W-I-S-C-O-N-S-E-N-N-A-C-H, because I love Outlander and Carla loves me and hates everyone else and gives them a really long Twitter handle. And Tanya? I don't have a podcast, and I have LinkedIn, um, so I'm seeing an opportunity now. Would you like to join? So, just a podcast where I read LinkedIn to people <laughs> out loud <laughs> and get slowly, slowly tired, and everyone falls asleep. It's like sleep I stories. About Tanya's coworkers promotions. Yeah, yeah. Of a LinkedIn podcast, right? And that I never look at. Anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> no, you can find me. I think I mostly on Twitter at AK Nerdfighting. The A, the K, the N, the F are capitals because it's obnoxious. Otherwise, it just looks like a mess. And then, um, or at Prof Tanya Cook, which is mostly either pictures of my cats or sociology. Um, yeah, thanks. And here, talking about sideballs. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Peaceful. Tasteful, tasteful side nut. Tasteful side nut, yes. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you would like to be a potential interview guest on the show, you can email us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. Okay, so next week we are going to be peppering in some comedy. So we're going to be talking about coming to America. So we're going to be talking about the first one and then the sequel. And Carla would be back on that. Carla's going to be on both episodes next week. Carla is basically at least on one episode, I think, every week for the rest of the <laughs> Hi, I'm Carla. I'm your new co-host. Tell us you don't edit your own podcast without telling us you don't edit your own podcast, (laughs) Carla. (laughs) But next week, Carla's going to be on both episodes. So we're going to be talking about Coming to America. And then we're also going to be talking about the show Girlfriends. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Timmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos. And our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe. And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. I just really enlarged my Skype and I can't seem to get it to go down. <laughs> That's just what wait. said. If you wait and ignore it, it'll said. just go away on its own. Think about yeah. sad things. Your computer <laughs> won't, won't develop. Think about ball. baseball. Be okay. Grandma's meatloaf. Think about Grandma's tasteful meatloaf. side nut.
<laughs> tasteful Wait, side note. I seriously cannot get this to go down. <laughs> if it persists for more than four hours, you need you to call your doctor. Accidentally install the Viagra extension. Or <laughs> yeah, so leave it in. That's what leave she it said. In. It feels leave good. It <laughs> that's what. Don't pull out yet. Yeah, yeah. Don't pull you out. You said. Yet. I don't know because <laughs> female gaze. Well, if, it's, if we're talking about queer as folk, then that's what he yep. said. <laughs> And isn't Aaron always talking about queer as folk? And brought to you by Astroglide. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to the great pop culture debate back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.